Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. Hello, everybody. Uh, like Matt said, my name is Cameron, and uh, just a couple years ago, I was in your position sitting in Convo, and I can't say that uh, I was not guilty of this, but I'd really respect if you guys could just during this time put your Spanish 202 notes away. I know you've got a quiz at 11 o'clock that you didn't study for, thought you'd study during Convo, but if you could just put that stuff away and just be open um, to receiving this word from the Lord. So uh, today, I will be talking on John chapter 12, and so I'm going to read that passage to you guys first. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to uh, help himself to whatever was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you will always have with me, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him who was about to see Lazarus, uh, uh, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So first, I just want to give a little bit of context for this. Um, I kind of wish that I would have preached this two weeks ago, because chronologically, this story kind of fits in right before Palm Sunday. So right now, Jesus is coming to Bethany. He's having a celebratory dinner with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, a group of their friends, and they're celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus, that Christ has bought Lazarus back from the dead. Um, so Bethany is about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. If you guys have been there, if any of y'all have done any study abroad or anything or been on mission trips, um, it's right near the Mount of Olives, so kind of depict where that is. And so they're celebrating Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, which one shows that Jesus has power over death. But also, immediately before this, the Pharisees have just issued uh, that they wanted to arrest Jesus. So they've issued the decree that they want to arrest Jesus and try him. So not only does it show the power that Christ has over death, but it also shows that Christ's death himself is imminent and that it's coming. And when we see Mary pouring out this oil onto Christ, it's anointing him, a way of preparing him for his burial. And with Christ knowing that his death is impending, the power of his words that you will not always have me here have that much more gravitas and weight. And today I kind of wanted to focus on what the call to follow Christ looks like in our lives. The first thing is that the call of Christ is costly. When Mary came and anointed Christ, she used a very expensive perfume to, uh, to bless her Savior. Uh, in the passage, it says that it was 300 denarii, which basically equates to 300 pieces that were given to a day laborer for his work. So I did a little bit of currency calculation and figuring that out. And basically, that was what my tuition, my fees, my room, and my board cost freshman year here at Sanford. So think about your freshman year at uh, Sanford. It's gone up a little bit since I was here. But your freshman year is how much this ointment that she laid at Jesus' feet cost. So she was willing to give that up. And uh, it's an example of how costly it is for us to follow Christ from a monetary perspective. 
But this isn't the only example that we see in the Bible or that we even see in the Gospels of how expensive and costly it is to dedicate ourselves to following Christ. In Mark 10, there's a picture of the rich young ruler. He comes to Christ and says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, take all your possessions, all your power, sell them, and give them away to the poor. Follow me. And even though he saw the truth that Christ spoke, he wasn't willing to go out and pay the price that Christ asked for us to follow him truly. In another uh, parable, in Matthew 13, uh, Christ talks about the pearl of great price. And he says the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price that when somebody finds it, they go out and they sell everything they have because it's so precious that that's the only thing that they care about. And that is the level of devotion. And that's how costly following Christ is to us. I think that a lot of times we don't see that level of sacrificial giving in our own lives and in others. Um, one of the times I saw that most clearly evidenced was when I lived in Rwanda. So a year after, or, uh, I graduated in 2013, and two weeks after graduation, I was on a flight to Musanze, Rwanda, which is in like the northwest corner of Rwanda. Had never been to Rwanda before, did not speak the language, still don't really speak the language, um, and I didn't know anybody there in that country. The diocese that I worked for over there um, serves 80,000 people, and one of the programs that they had was they have 217 preschool programs. So one of my jobs is I went out and I did all the communications and fundraising. So I went out uh, to see all the different programs we had, took pictures and wrote stories about them. So on one of my first days there, the very first week, we went out to this preschool. And uh, there were probably 40 or 50 different children that were in this program. And spent all morning with them, um, seeing their teachers train them and teach them. And it was just really a great experience. And as we're leaving, walking back the 45 minutes back to the bus stop, um, the kids are following us, and this woman calls them into her house. So we walk into the house, and there's this woman. She's, I come to find out that she's 78 years old. She sits down. My friend Amon's translating for us, and she starts feeding the kids beans and um, potatoes. So I asked this woman about her story and what she's doing, and she said that these kids had come up to her, and um, they brought her flowers the day before. And she, it's because she, in any way that she could, she tries to bless them and show the love of Christ to them. And I asked her, I said, well, you know, tell me a little bit more. And she said that the, she doesn't have any living family and that she just basically relies on the charity of other people for her own survival. So the day before, somebody had given her um, a couple hundred francs or a couple thousand francs. It was about three or four U.S. dollars. She spent all that money on buying beans and on buying um, potatoes. And she wanted to give these to these kids. So she truly, you know, talking about praying for uh, her daily bread, relied on the sustenance of others through God, um, and used everything that she had to bless others. So not only is the call to Christ costly, but it also requires extravagant love from us. Mary is a really excellent depiction of this. She completely selflessly is giving in this example. She had no concern for herself or how she was viewed by other people. Her only goal was to completely and utterly adore her, her uh, Savior, Jesus Christ. She didn't care about uh, her sense of social standing or what the proper decorum or protocol was in the situation. She was so overwhelmed with love for Jesus that all she could do was to spill it out to him. Um, as you guys probably know, washing people's feet was not a very highly viewed job back in Jesus' time. Uh, and, you know, it's not today, but back then, people wore sandals, they walked everywhere, there was a lot of animal, you know, excrement on the roads, dirt, dust, it all gets caked onto their feet, they're extremely callous, just a really nasty, dirty job. And Mary humbled herself, came, anointed Jesus' head, anointed his feet, and um, washed them with her own hair. And another thing that I think we maybe don't realize, too, is that um, 
in that time that a woman who took her hair down was kind of a woman of ill repute, a woman of low morals, um, a lady of the street, if you will, and I think that that's something that we still hear with Mary. Uh, but the point here is that she didn't care about how people perceived her or what it would look like or following all the rules. Um, she probably would have gotten a values violation in today's, in today's Samford for letting her hair down. But uh, all she cared about was showing fully the outpouring of love that she had in her heart towards her Savior. One of my favorite quotes about this passage is by a Chinese pastor from the 20th century, Watchman Nee. And he says that in this passage, John intends that the preaching of the gospel should issue in something along the very lines of the action Mary here does, namely, that people should come to him and waste themselves on him. And I think the part that sticks out to me is talking about how we're called to waste ourselves on Christ. So just think about that for a second, what it means to have your life and um, waste it or waste yourself upon, totally upon Christ. I think it's really challenging to see how we can forfeit our lives completely in service to the person of Christ that we're called to in the way that Mary embodies. Um, but I think looking at Mary as an example is a great way to do that. She recognized what Christ had done for her, and she realized that the only response in light of what Christ had done to her is this outpouring of love that, she could, that, is, that no one else could understand. Mary is, in this example, um, you have to remember that she, Christ has just raised her brother from the dead. Mary and Martha, when Lazarus was sick, called Jesus and said, hey, come back, we need you to heal our brother. Jesus said, okay. Comes back, and they say, it's too late. He's been in the grave for four days. Jesus comes, says, pull back the, pull back the stone, let's see him, I'll help him out. And Martha says, no, don't open it up, it's going to reek, he's been dead for four days, there's really nothing you can do. He was completely dead, and Jesus raised him to complete life, and that's what they're here celebrating. Mary recognized that Jesus' power over death raised her, son, her brother back to life, and that there was nothing she could do to repay him. And the only way that she could demonstrate this love um, is through any kind of active service that would show Christ her level of devotion to him. And we're called to have the same response. Just over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ bore your sins on the cross and paid the penalty uh, for both you and for I that we could have eternal life and fellowship with Christ the Father through him. The only way that we can experience this extravagant love that we're called through through Christ is by recognizing the depth of the sacrifice and how incapable we are of repaying him. And that's how we will help facilitate um, this love that we're called to. And it has a huge effect. People will start to notice in verse 3, John says that after Mary did this act, that the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume, people will notice, they'll see your acts of love that you're demonstrating um, to Christ starts to begin to permeate everything you do, and everything becomes an act of worship. And people will notice. In high school, I worked at the YMCA, and one of my favorite parts of that was all the camp friends that I got to meet. Um, and for working for uh, an organization that has a C for Christian, I actually worked with a ton of non-Christians there. And one of my best friends was a uh, very fervent agnostic uh, guy, and um, we just had a lot of really interesting conversations. And there was one time where I was telling him, hey, I'm not going to be here the last two weeks of camp. And he asked why. And I said, well, I'm going to Kenya, and I'm going to be working with an um, organization that does reconciliation and forgiveness. And he was like, oh, that's really interesting. He goes, I'm really interested in humanitarian work, but I realized that most of the organizations are faith-based. 
Um, and he goes, I just couldn't figure out why that would be, because he had had such a negative experience with Christianity specifically. And that opened up a lot of conversations, and we had some really great um, talks and discussions there. But the big thing that stuck out to me is that when people are living out the love of Christ, and they're, you're completely overwhelmed by that love, and it overflows in your actions, people notice, and people see those things. But people don't always have positive respects. If you truly pursue the call to Christ and live according to the way that he calls, people will hate you. Um, at the end of the passage, the last two verses, they talk about how the Pharisees not only were planning to kill Jesus, but they also wanted to kill Lazarus because he was a living sign of Christ's power. And because he had been raised from the dead, his testimony and his presence was leading people to follow Christ. And the Pharisees hated for him for it, and they wanted to kill him for it. And then probably the most interesting juxtaposition of two characters in this story, I think, is comparing Judas with Mary. Um, while Mary was focused on lavishly giving out of her abundance of love, Judas was focused on selfishly receiving and using religion and faith as a way for him to empower himself and to enrich himself. I think a lot of times when we read through these stories, um, we talk in spiritualese, and um, a lot of times the meaning and the significance of what we, of the passages are kind of intertwined with the stories themselves, and we kind of just, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to hear that story about Mary, so like this is what the ending is, and you kind of just go through the motions with it. But I think that when we teach, we teach very clearly that, oh, Mary's on the right side of this, and that Judas is not on the right side of this which given the context and our stories and what John says, we, we know to be true. But I think if we were living this firsthand, that I don't think that's the response we would have. Um, and one reason I think that is in Matthew and Mark, when they're telling this similar story, and when the story is told, the disciples don't stand and defend Mary with Jesus. Instead, before Jesus responds, they kind of jump on with Judas and they say, yeah, this is almost you know $30,000 worth of oil that you could have sold and given to the poor, what are you thinking? And why wouldn't they? I mean, seriously, if we're there in that example, I'm definitely on the side of Judas. I'm definitely there on the side of the disciples. I'm saying, why are you wasting this when it could be put to such good use? And I think one of the reasons this is so persuasive is that Judas uses these spiritual terms when he's looking at to couch and phrase and hide his true ulterior motives. When we read through the Gospels, the people who are admonished by Christ aren't the sinners, aren't the prostitutes, aren't the people who commit the grievous crimes, but instead it's the people, those are the people that he's eating with. But the people that he admonishes, that he corrects really strongly, and the people that he criticizes are the spiritual elite of the times, and the people who are using their faith and their traditions and turning everything into rules. Um, and even here, it's one of his 12 disciples, one of his 12 followers, the people he's closest to in the world. And the reason that, and those are the people who end up hating you because of the way that you truly embody your faith. And one of the reasons that people will hate you is because when you're called to Christ, it requires a complete paradigm shift. You have to completely change the way that you think about everything. From the worldly perspective, Judas is right. You know, you look, he wants to help the poor. He doesn't want to be wasteful. He kind of represents the secular morality that permeates today. You just do the right thing. You help people. But if you don't have that underlying love of Christ, then Christ says that that's useless. Mary, on the other hand, is the wasteful, obscene one. She's, you know, taking her hair down in front of men. She's wasting, you know, these tens of thousands of dollars worth of wealthy uh, or, you know, expensive uh, perfume. She just kind of is not the picture of what you want to see from a worldly perspective. 
But when you're called to Christ, we're not called to viewing things in the way that the world views things. Instead, we're called to look at things like Christ does. He looks at the motivation, and he looks at people's heart. And he sees that deep down, Judas wasn't motivated by love for the poor or to help people. Instead, it was his own willingness to control and his own greed over money and his ability to siphon off some of those funds for his own personal gain. And Mary's act of service came out of an abundance of love and of joy and of a way to adore and worship her king. And that's correct. That's the correct way to view things. And it's even clear in the outcomes. In both the Matthew and the Mark depictions, the immediate passage after this is Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So where uh, Mary's, Mary's gift probably was between twenty-five dollars and $30,000 uh, in U.S. dollars today, Judas betrayed Jesus for about $1,000, which is kind of crazy. Another thing in closing that I kind of want to leave us with is that while we're all called to love and serve Christ, he's equipped us all to, to, to love him in different ways. I know in college you do a lot of personality profiles and you do a lot of those different things. And one of the things that I learned about when I was in college is like the five love languages. So um, if we look at the people in this text, they all have different ways that they're showing their love towards Christ. We focus the most on Mary, so I'll kind of skip over her a little bit. But she, she kind of has this precious gift. So it's gifts. She's going down. She's physically um, wiping Jesus' feet. So gifts and physical touch. Uh, she just learns from Jesus by sitting at his feet, basking in his presence, seeking him for his own sake. For Martha, her sister, um, she embodies acts of service. So the way that she shows her love to Christ is she makes sure that the house is clean. She makes sure that everybody's served, that everything's going well. Um, she's very, you know, type A. She likes to get everything done. She just wants to make sure that all that stuff's going on. And if I'm being honest, that's probably how I identify with myself most in this passage. But then there's also Lazarus. Um, he, he probably embodies quality time. So the only reference besides him being raised from the dead here is that Lazarus was sitting at table with Christ. He was enjoying just simply being in his presence. He, is accept, he had accepted the gift of life. At this point, he's been raised from the dead by Jesus, accepts this gift, and just wants to bask and be with Jesus in his presence. And in that, he serves as a living example of Christ's power over death. So those are three different people, three siblings, very um, different ways of showing their love. And I think it's important that we don't belittle the way that other people love Christ and serve. I've already mentioned that I'm more of a Martha than a Mary, um, but I can give you an example of that. Earlier this week, uh, over spring break, I had the privilege of leading a service immersion trip through the Man Center to Give Kids the World Village. And so I know some of you students are over here, so thank you guys for coming. Um, but there were 10 students who went with me. And if, for those of you who don't know, it's an organization that provides uh, children who have really serious health problems. They take their families, they send them to Disney World, Universal Studios, uh, you know, SeaWorld, wherever they want to go to theme parks. And they just provide them ex all expense free, just a week to forget about all the, you know, health problems and everything. And they can just be a kid. Um, and it was a really great experience. But on my very first day there, we were serving in the kitchen, and um, I was a busboy, so I had the very glamorous job of going through and cleaning up all the syrup that Byron spilled everywhere, and um, cleaning up all the dishes and everything. So uh, that was what I did. But our first day there, um, it started off kind of slow, and it kind of slowly ramped up. And so about an hour into it, we're just you know going, trying to get all these tables cleaned off. And I was in my Martha mode. I was very focused, 
you know, head to the grind, nose to the grindstone, just focused in on cleaning off all these tables. And one of the guys in our group um, had taken a, a little time to clean off the table, which is great. And then he just started having this conversation. And out of the corner of my eye, I noticed, like, okay, I've cleaned off two or three tables. I need somebody to come spray them down and wipe them down. And this guy is just, like, sitting there talking to this family. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, why is he not helping? We're here to get these tables done so these families can have clean, clean, uh, you know, have a clean place to sit. And I go back, and you know, he he finished his job, did a great job. And during our break, I was reading, preparing for the sermon this week, and went back and looked at kind of the first introduction to Mary and Martha. And Martha has a similar response. They're there, they're having a meal. Mary's doing all the work, and. Uh, Martha's doing all the work. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking it all up. And Mary's, uh, Martha turns to Jesus and says, can you just tell this guy, or tell her to like come and do the job, like help me out. And Jesus says, no, she's got it right. She's got the right position. She's focused on loving these families, you know, focused on um, sharing and learning from me and just like being in my presence. So uh, in this story, that doesn't mean that Martha has to change her style of service uh, she still is equipped, and God's made her to love and to serve through these acts of service and by preparing things. It just means that, like, you don't need to look down upon other people who maybe are gifted in different ways to show Christ's love. And so that was a challenging message to me. And throughout the week, I saw that this person was one of the best people at connecting with these families here and showing the love of Christ to them by, you know, just building relationships and stuff there. So anyway, I just wanted to um, emphasize that, like, all the different ways that we love and that we serve Christ in these ways we're called to. Um, God uses us all uniquely, and we all have unique skills and talents, and none of them are better than the other. So uh, closing out today, I'll close this out in prayer, but I just want all of you guys to know um, that the call to Christ will cost you, and in order to live a life, you're going to have to give up things that are valuable to you, but when you recognize the sacrifice of Christ— you will have this sort of um, undying love and affection for Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can live that out. So if you can bow your heads with me, I'll close this out in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time for us to get together each week and to worship you and to learn more about you. I thank you for being the Word incarnate, um, as John said, and coming and speaking to us and being the Word made flesh and living your life um, here on earth. I thank you for your sacrifice that we just celebrated this previous uh, Sunday, and I just pray that you'll help move our hearts to more fully understand your sacrifice that you made for us, and that that will drive us to exhibit the type of love, unconditional uh, love that Mary had for you, and I just pray that you'll help us to use that to bless others. In Christ's name I pray, amen. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.